Hey, everybody. Welcome back to, I think this is the fourth onslaught of our mini-series here. Hey, John, how are you? Good. Adam, how are you doing, man? Very good. So we didn't get to continue with our, we didn't get to finish our talk with management and, and leadership. So today, that's what we're going we're gonna to do. Yeah, one of us was rambling on. I'm not quite sure which one on the last one. So I'll, I'll blame <laughs> you on that one. I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So we're. I think today we're going to kind of talk about how a company could attract the right kind of sales leader and a couple of different leadership skills along that that you should be looking for, things like that. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think this was a topic that we could even potentially break out into another mini series, right? So there's a lot of knowledge or, or a lot of insight that we can talk through on this. So we wanted to talk on a couple of things. You know, how do you think through that first sales leader? Again, there's great sales leaders, but they're not necessarily applicable for every single stage of company, right? So making sure you're in line with that right person that you need today and really talking through it, some questions to ask and, and really dive into what to look for and how to find them. Absolutely. All right, so let's roll the intro and start things off. Yeah, let's do it. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, everybody. Before we get started in this episode, I know that you're eager to get going, but I wanted to ask for your help. We want to get the word out there more that uh, this podcast exists. So if you're finding value in this and you really are enjoying this, would you mind please sharing this with your colleagues or putting it on social media as much as you can so that we get the word out there and we could continue to deliver more and more content like this? Really appreciate your help and uh, thank you very much. All right, so let's jump right into it. And what kind of, I mean, you we talked about a little bit before what kind of sales leader a company needs at the earlier stage. And you don't really need somebody to look at the analytical side. You need somebody that's more of a doer, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you need someone super early stage that is comfortable, right? At that stage of company, right? Where every decision counts, right? Everything that you do, matters right and you've got to be really strategic but i think most importantly is you have to be a doer so you have to yeah. have that right kind of person that is thoughtfully thinking through things obviously being strategic guiding the direction of the company but at the end of the day is rolling their sleeves up and doing the work right and knowing how to do it and not shying away from that so yeah i mean there's a big difference in running a team of 40, 50 people where you've got frontline leaders, you've got AEs that help run those frontline leaders to where you're running a team of three or four people. And so you really want to make sure, one, that you've got a person that is comfortable doing that, but they're also excited about doing that. Yeah. And so during the interview process, I mean, I want to cover two kind of things here is like what to ask as a company or a founder, what to ask for the sales leader to kind of qualify them and make sure that they're the right fit. But also I want to know your opinion. I know what I look for when I'm joining a company and I kind of want to give that insight to, to the founders so that they know what's important to, to leaders out there to be listening to. 
Yeah, absolutely. I can give you my insight as well, joining obviously a super, super early stage company at the angel round and what I was looking for, but also what I appreciated from the founders, you know, and, and what I appreciated from there. And really for me, the biggest thing is I think we do this maybe without even knowing it, but I think a lot of times people are selling the candidate on the company. Yeah. Right. Which there's nothing obviously wrong with that. But I know for myself, when I've talked to several companies where I was considering and, and going through them, a lot of them I was talking to, I just felt like I was being oversold something, right? Like they, they weren't really pointing out any moles. They weren't pointing out, hey, we're very early stage here. Like we're at a critical component. Like we need to, someone that can really build something. A lot of the companies I had talked to were really just trying to sell me. Hey, we've got a backlog of leads. Oh, we've got so many inbounds or, you know, hey, we, we, we've got no competitors, Right. And so I can tell you for me, when I'm looking at companies and I'm, I'm going through them, I actually prefer and look for companies that actually have competitors. Because at least in my mind, you don't really have a true company until you've got some competitors. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, once you come up with a great idea that you can monetize that other people are going to do the same thing. Right. Yeah. And so if no one is doing it, either you're so far ahead of the curve that no one has noticed it yet, or maybe hell, it's not that good of an idea. <laughs> So I think a lot of times uh, I've talked to a lot of companies and they were always trying to sell me on the fact, you know, no one is doing this. We've got no competitors. We're doing that. And I know it sounds great on paper, but me assessing it, like it, it was more of a turnoff if anything else. Yeah. Because it, it's the same kind of thing for me is one of the most important things. I mean, obviously besides the, the thing is I like the product because that's a, that's a given, I think for any good salesperson that's not just looking for a job, you have to like the product. But but the most important for me is trust. If I can't trust blindly the people I'm going to be joining with, then I don't really feel like that's the right place for me. Yeah. I mean, people, 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 right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to come down to that and you're going to spend more time together than you do with your family, you know, and you start to become family. And you get to pick this kind of family. So if there's a, not a character flaw necessarily, but just, you know, styles make fights, right? So if you're feeling with this person, like, oh man, this is a really great salesperson, but just stylistically, I don't know if I would vibe with this person and want to be around them eight, 10, 11 hours a day. At some point you got to go with your gut. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It doesn't even necessarily mean that they're a bad fit and they can't do the role. But we talked about this on one of the last episodes about culture, right? And how do you develop that culture? You can't just make up acronyms on words, right? You know, so you've got to really buy into it and believe it and say, hey, here's our core values and really make sure that that person is bought into them. And so for me, talking to them, like it's really, really about the people. It's yeah. really, really about the people. And you're going to spend a lot of time with them. And so you have to be able to not only work together, but be able to have conflict resolution with them. And I think a lot of times that's overlooked is when you're interviewing, it's like when you're dating, right? When you're on your first couple of dates, you're on your P's and Q's. <laughs> like that person doesn't see you when you're frustrated or you had a bad day, right? You always try to do that. So you've got to understand that you're going to have ups and downs and you're going to have people that have a lot of faith and trust in you. And I know going to an early stage company, that, like that really meant a lot to me where the founders had the utmost trust in what I was looking to do, right? And we had the shared vision. And so it was all being cohesive. And when we had arguments, like any family would, 
or we had disagreements, we resolved them. Yeah. Right. We never There's let things be fester. that mutual respect. Yeah. We never let things fester. You're right. And it, it is it's not to be coy, but it's like a relationship, you know, and if you're going to have a long-term relationship, you're going to have problems. It's not if you have problems it's when, and are you just going to walk away from it all? Right. When you have your first fight. So I think that's a big thing is knowing that you can work and have mutual respect with someone and go yeah. through it. Absolutely. And I, I also, one of the things that's important is to go on that is for me, I know my style, I know who I am and I'm a guy that I'll do what you tell me to, but I need to understand why. Right. And, and I need to have that door open so that if I don't agree with you, I could actually talk it out with you. I don't have to agree with you on everything, but as long as we could have that com open conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And back when I was at a larger company, we did a lot of personality, you know, the disc assessments, pretty popular. We did those and I actually shared my disc assessment with the founders. And I said, here's, this is pretty spot on, good, bad, and the ugly, right? It's yeah. going to tell you <laughs> who, who I am, but also, yeah, who I'm not, right? And, yeah. and to your point too, if you know, if you want a yes man that's just going to agree with you and say, okay, blindly, like walk into a wood chipper, probably not going to be a great fit. I think if we could have open respect, open dialogue, and really pressure test ideas, that's great. And then I think on the other side of that, as, as sales leaders, as you go in there, one of the things that I learned is when people are asking you, what about this? What about this? They're not disagreeing with you per se. They're pressure testing the idea. And that was something I had to grow into. And you got to put ego aside and say, well, to your point, Adam, you said you want to know the why behind the founders. Well, the founders should also know the why of your go-to-market that you're designing. Right. And so by them asking you questions, something that which is a character flaw of myself is I, I, I tend to get gristled. Right. And, you know, I get hard headed to it, to a sense, <laughs> but that helps me grow of like, Hey, they're not disagreeing with me. They're asking me questions. And if you can't explain the thought process behind it or show your work behind how you came up with this conclusion, it may not be the best idea. So I think put ego aside, welcome people asking you as a sales leader, questions as to why, just like you want to ask questions as why back to the founders, right? If that makes sense. Absolutely. When, when I go and talk to a new company, either as like more of a consultative or as more of a hands-on ap approach, I'm always wanting to, most of the time I'm wanting to meet the investment team as well. Like who were the angel investors or who were the seed investors? I want to sit with them and understand what their expectations are. Are you doing that? Yeah. I like to look at the pitch deck right? Especially that they use to raise any money, like what's the vision, right? So why would, why would people give you money? Yes. <laughs> so that <laughs> really help opens up the vision. Yeah. So definitely, I definitely have met with investors, early stage people, consultants, advisors, if you will. But yeah, you want to understand the vision, right? Of, okay, because right now you could potentially be joining a company that has no customers and no revenue, right? So you've got to understand, okay, well, someone or some people have given them money and people typically aren't going to give you money if they don't believe in a long-term idea that can ultimately make them money back, right? So I like to look at pitch decks and really understand. And also too, I think as a founder, you should really be able to allow yourself to open up, right? And take a look at it. And I remember one of the early things, especially as you go to an early stage company as a sales leader, one of the things I wanted to talk to them about was their was their burn rate, you know, like how much money do you have? Like how long, if we don't sign any customers, how long could you even stay in business? If it's, you know, three weeks, 
holy shit, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you might want to know that. And I, I still remember one of the final meetings I did when before joining Luma with the CEO, Adnan, who was just awesome. And I had these lists of questions and I was like, you know, what's, what's the burn rate? Like how much capital do we have? Swear to God, he literally pulled out his phone, opened up the banking app and showed me how much money they had in the account. And I was like, no, you don't have to do that. I'm not I'll like, I'll take your word. And he's like, no, <laughs> well, open door. Like, absolutely. And I, I respect that tremendously. Right. Someone yeah. that's going to say, because you hear these stories of people go in there and they're eight weeks into the role and they're like, okay, we've got a month left. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, well, you know, you, you really want to understand that. So I think open door communication, transparency, especially at that early stage, you know, of something where you, especially if you're going angel round, seed round, something like that. You want to know that like there's some, you at least have some bandwidth, you have some runway to even build momentum. Absolutely. I think that it's so important and, and so many times goes unasked uh, what your burn rate is or how, how long do we got left? <laughs> how long before the ship sinks? It's that uncomfortable truth, right? Or the comfortable lie, right? And so you, again, you've got to come outside of your comfort zone. You've got to get to know each other. You, it's, it's going to be a relationship. You're going to spend a lot of time with these people and you've got to have some trust. You yeah. know, you've got to have trust and, and know what you're doing. So you, you've got to, sometimes it's uncomfortable, but you've got to get it all out in the open. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I really like when meeting new founders for the first time and to to discuss if we could work together and to see like more of an interview to is to see if it's a very casual engagement. I don't like when I come in and I feel like I'm under pressure. I'm fine under pressure, but if that's like the kind of feeling that they're giving, like they sit on the other side of the desk, they're just sitting there with questions, they're looking at my resume, you know, and it's just very unwelcoming, it kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it certainly can. I had a, another experience where I was meeting with a founder, they were in the health tech space as well, and they had made the decision to form their company as a nonprofit, which I think is great, right, and really bought into the mission. During the process of having conversations with them, I asked the founder, like, you know, have you thought about how this will affect us long term recruiting in San Francisco, like recruiting sales talent to come here? Like equity is a big thing. And I just I wanted to bring it up, right? And just talk through it. It wasn't a non-starter for me, but I wanted to bring it up. And he got really offended. Like he got super offended by that, really almost like just got really rude and shut down and said, Yeah, maybe this isn't a good fit. And I was like, yeah, apparently it's not. <laughs> I feel like this would be a normal question. Like most people are going to ask you this question. And so, and I felt like, yeah, that's not a great sign that you're getting, you know, put back up, which would be a, a, an honest question. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's going to be part of your job there is to build the team. How you, and it's going to be a roadblock. So yeah, have those honest conversations up front. All right. So let's talk about more from the, the company side. What should the company be looking for in a leader? Yeah. I mean, so we've talked on the one of our previous episodes, right, about what to look for on resumes, right, yeah. for reps and for, for BDRs and, and AEs, et cetera. And so th this is going to be challenging. I mean, again, recruiting personnel is, is going to be really hard. So you've got to really first understand like where you at as a company and the type of sales leader that you need. There's very strategic, long play, operationally sound, very good in board meetings, very good in, you know, presentation style, right? Like that just organic, charismatic sales leader, right? That can just really 
you know, do great presentations to a, a thousand employees, right? And get them bought into them. It's a completely different and most times personality that's going to work at that one to two salesperson, one to five salesperson, right? And so you really have to assess out their comfort level of doing that. And will they do the work inherently at that early stage of a company, that sales leader is going to be a large contributor to the direct revenue that the company is bringing in. And so if you've got someone that is more of in an office, running analysis, running spreadsheets, doing vendor relations, doing partnership relations, it's a completely different ballgame to be out in the pit every day, first one in, in the door, last one to leave, making more calls than anyone else while building up a strategic plan, building out partner relationships and interviewing, building a team. So you're going to have to look for someone that either has direct experience doing these types of things or is at least highly comfortable and highly excited about doing it, right? You're not going to be able to fake it at that level. And it's not going to be, it's going to be rolling up your sleeves in the trenches, literally doing demos, literally cold calling, but also putting breadcrumbs behind them to where they can actually coach everyone else on how to do it the correct way. And that's that's the challenging thing. And that's where I think as, as a sales leader and a director at that level of a team, like you can close deals a thousand different ways, right? But you have to close it in the way that you're teaching other people to do it, or you'll never have like redundancies and like actually be able to scale out a team. And so they have to be able to like write scripts, you know, and we talked about scripts. Do you do scripts? Do you do outlines, right? You know, six one way, half a dozen another, but they have to be able to actually build out a playbook that they can give to an employee on day one, take them through training, do the onboarding, do the setup. And it's very labor and energy intensive. Yeah, like that's absolutely. a lot of, of work that is so, that's the hardest part about doing it is you can get in there and do it yourself, but can you coach and develop other people to do it? And so I would revolve a lot of the questioning, whatever you want to call it, right? Of how you interact with this person of really pressure test them about, okay, let's walk through some examples. Like how do you onboard a new person? Like how do you cadence out their first day? Right. What do you do? Like, and I can tell you onboarding reps is challenging, but it's also key to their development. Like you can't have a super unstructured onboarding cadence for net new reps you know, they're just going to sit there, right? Uh, idle feet, you know, don't, don't help, right? You've got to make sure that you have, they can build out a cadence. They can know like, okay, we're doing this training, this development. We're going to set up their sales force. We're going to do this. We're going to, you know, a lot of times you're going to have to train them on your CRM. So it's just like, you have to do everything by the book every single time and then coach them how to do that. And so I think it's just really pressure testing someone that they want to do that. Cause I can tell you it, I mean, it is, it's tiring. It gets, you go home at the end of the day, you're, I mean, <laughs> you're my done. jaw would hurt a lot of times. Yeah. Just like, you know, <laughs> from talking all day, you're like, okay, I did four demos. I did three interviews and I was, you know, doing new hire training for three people. Right. So it's, it's, it's very, but in, in my mind and the reason why I do it, I, I feel like that's the most rewarding as well. So we had talked about earlier about why sales leadership. And again, if you don't have that organic passion for it of really developing people around you, it's going to get real tiring really quickly. Absolutely. I think what one of the things that you're saying there that I've seen a lot of founders make mistakes with is a lot of them will, I know I'm going to probably piss some people off with this, but a lot of, a lot of founders will only hire 
people with like MBAs or, you know, real fancy schools and, and education, but, and cause that looks really good on paper and yeah, you could speak numbers and everything, but they've never actually been on the field. They've never actually had any, any real life experience as far as like leading a sales team. Yeah. Or even direct sales, right. With, with no resources. And we'll, well, I think we'll talk about this in a moment here as well, but resources is key, right? And, and to your point, you could have the paper resume that looks great with an MBA, you know, Harvard Business School, things of that nature. But look, at the end of the day, a book can't teach you how to hit a curveball. It can't. You can't read a book to learn how to hit a, a curveball. You can either see the ball or you can't. And so you've got to have that real world application. You can't be like, well, I sat in a classroom and read these books and did this presentation in theory about this. You know, you got to get your your knuckles bloodied a little bit, you know, and get out there and really build it. And so, yeah, I mean, I've definitely faced that as well, not having an MBA and things of that nature as well. Absolutely. Like, yeah. So it's about really having that that metal to do it because it it is. It's so exhausting to to start that and to know, especially in that first year, 18 months, you know, if you're burn rate you've only got 12 months of burn rate you, you got to go pretty quickly <laughs> yeah you got to start really picking things up because you don't want to be in a position where you just simply ran out of runway yeah there is no right? tech there is no textbook answer to to do this <laughs> yeah so i think just really making sure that someone's passionate about it for the right reason have you read ben horowitz book the hard thing about hard things the hard thing about the hard things absolutely it's yeah. one of my favorites yeah one of my favorite quotes is if you have to eat shit don't nibble <laughs> so yes <laughs> so it's just i even teach that to my 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 daughters as young as they are i try not to use curse words but i tell them like if you made a mistake own it learn yeah. from it and move on absolutely and i tell early reps about this and you know especially when you're onboarding them you'll tell them how to do something and it's a learning process right so they'll do it incorrectly right that's to be expected but you know, let's say they're they're not logging calls and tasks correctly in the Salesforce, right, or the CRM. And hey, no, Adam, remember we got to do it this way. The key thing I always look for, not to get off topic here, is when they explain why they were doing it the wrong way. <laughs> oh, I did it this way because I thought, yeah, so we don't need to waste time talking about why you did it the wrong yeah. way. Like it's yeah. actually not relevant at all. <laughs> and so you can actually tell someone very early on, and it's a key indicator of how well they perform. Almost every new rep that I've had that always feels like they have to explain their mistakes don't ever get there. It's a lower, the it's a lower confidence there. thing, I think, as well. Yeah, they're trying to justify it, right? Yeah. Anyway, the reason why I brought up the book is because one of the things he says is, you know, no one is ever born a CEO. And it's the same as no one's ever born a sales leader or any kind of leader. But there's so you don't want to always look for like the MBA student or something that's not going to make you a good leader, but you could also hire somebody that was a good ind independent contributor that showed leadership skills in the past. And that may make a good, good leader as well. Yeah, potentially what I look for. And as I've talked to early reps that have showed interest in getting into leadership is you've got to lead before you're ever asked to, to manage. And so you've got to lead by example and you can be the top rep and doesn't inherently make you a good leader. Whereas you can be, you know, the top, the fifth rep in the company, but you're one of the strongest leaders because even though you're not the top performer, you do it the right way and you encourage people and you do it. So absolutely like you're, you're you don't just walk in one day, but you've got to want to lead before they ever start to call you a manager or, or change your business card. Yeah. All right. Let's kind of switch it up a little bit and talk about, you know, 
commissions or bonuses for sales leaders? Yeah, yeah. I think this is, you know, as you get to it, and, and I've, I've done this before, is especially in an early company, you know, you, everyone's familiar with, you know, OTE, you know, on-target earnings, you know, and they give you the base plus commission. And I remember I've laughed at it sometimes as I'm like, well, we don't have any customers yet. So, so how can we, like, how can we possibly know what an OTE would even be? Right. So I, I think really working through and understanding what stage of company you are and understanding what someone is willing to sacrifice and, and to come up with. So for myself is I would be honest with co- companies and tell them like, Hey, here, here's my, my baseline. I need to make this type of base. And typically I'll be flexible with it, but I want to make it up in equity. Or like, obviously I, w- I want some skin in the game. Like I don't want to go to a company obviously where I don't believe in it. Right. And believe in the long-term vision of it. So you want to make up that equity play. But I think working with great companies where they'll just do the right thing by you. And that's what I want to work with is I want to work with founders and companies that are like, Hey man, we're going to figure it out later on and do the right thing. So I remember when I initially joined Luma, I even told him like, man, let's, let's figure this out as we go. Let, let's make a handshake. Let's say after six months, let's come back to it. And then we'll design a more realistic variable comp plan that will be in line with what I would like to do, but also more importantly, what's in line with the company. I don't know what the company's goals are is I'm not really comfortable being the highest paid person at a company that's not making any money. <laughs> you know, Once so, I start making money, then okay, then pay, then pay yeah, me the exactly. highest. So that's what I tell them like, hey, now that we're starting to get some revenue here and we're reducing our burn rate dramatically, now let's start talking about it. And again, as it goes back to the people process is you want to work for people that you trust will do the right thing by you. Yeah. Absolutely. Right and vice versa. So, I was always very upfront with uh, you know talking with companies and and what I would do and say, hey, we can we can figure these things out as we go, because I wouldn't join if I didn't feel like there was a certain level of trust, right, of going into, and so as you know, and and again, I think if if you're looking to get into an early stage company, you've got to realize it. Like, do you want to be the highest paid person at the company? Because if, if you're a great founder, you're likely not taking a big salary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you want your company to su- succeed, you're probably not taking very much home, right? You want to deploy a lot more resources to grow your company. And so just be cautious of the person that wants to come in, wants a really high base, wants to do this. And it's like, you, you want someone that's willing to, I think, be a team player. Absolutely. I've, right? I've and, come and really in, sacrifice around them. Yeah. Definitely. I've come in before and I'll tell them, look, we're at such an early stage right now that we don't know what the, how to even calculate commission or on target earnings. So let's, let's shelf that for three, six months. Let, I'm fine with the base. Let's shelf yeah. that. We'll come back to it and then we'll figure out how to calculate that. And even if it's not based on in actual sales or actual numbers of the team, uh, we could base it on different landmarks. So let's say like you, once you hire your first team of four people, that's uh, landmark A and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, create like trigger events, right? And, and almost like a video game, you can unlock the levels, right? Hey, if I get here, we can do this. If we hit this milestone. So yeah, I think there's creative ways where you can do it that keeps everyone equitable within the company. And so if you're a founder listening to this, again, be, I think just be cautious of that person that wants it on both ends. 
right? And what they can deliver. And if you're an, an, a, a leader looking to get into an early stage company and go into that, know what you're getting into. Like you'll make more money in all likelihood at a larger company, you know, but it's a give and a take. Like you have to really want to join an early stage company and not just because you want to tell people you work at a startup. <laughs> the thought of right. the thought of working at a at a large corporation just to me just sounds like uh, the worst thing I could ever do. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they've got some benefits on both ends. So I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of both. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there are some nice perks to it. I, yeah, yeah. I, I prefer the startup. I'll I'll work my yeah. ass off, but it's it's more fun <laughs> for me. I think. Yeah. Well, it's more rewarding. I, I would always say that it's it's much more rewarding building your own thing. Absolutely. And 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 being a part of it than you know. So yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you there. Cool. What kind of resources should a a startup have before hiring or as they hire their first sales leader? Yeah, I mean, this is, we talked about it in another episode, right? About what resources early sales reps need, right? And do they know how to drive the, the manual transmission? I think it was a reference that we used. You have really, really, really got to pressure test this with your sales leader. Remember, your team is always going to take on the personality of its leader, right? They're always going to, right? They're never going to work harder than the people, than the captain of the ship, right? You know, so that's not ever going to happen. And they're not ever going to be more resourceful than the captain of the ship, so you've really got to pressure test this person about what resources have they had available when they were doing what they claim to be doing from their resume, right? And understanding like, what were they doing? So really, really, really pressure test these numbers about what resources they have. Because I can tell you going into an early stage startup company coming from a large organization, I had endless resources, like endless. I mean, not only for just from a money standpoint, but a training department sales operations department, right? And a lot, those two things in my mind, love your thoughts on it, Adam, is many times overlooked is that you can be a sales leader that has literally never had to train a rep <laughs> because you worked at a large company that had a training department, right? That wrote everything, that did everything. You can be a, a, a sales leader and have never had to change in your instance in Salesforce at all. I mean, it's it's highly likely in most cases, unless they've been to a startup. So you need to really pressure test that person to say, you know, if you if you need them to build out and design and architect your CRM, you really would pressure test around that they can do that. Like if you don't have the resources and don't have a sales operations person that can architect your CRM, you're going to pay dramatic dividends for that in any errors later on. And if you're going to say like, well, we'll get a CRM once we get to, you know, a million dollars in revenue, where, where do you want to pay taxes, right? It's like, you're, <laughs> like at some point you're going to have to like do it and pay for it. So where do you want to do it? So I think just really, really understanding, I think the two biggest things that I think are often overlooked are their sales operations chops and their sales training chops. Like you can be a great salesperson, you could even be a great leader and have literally never been exposed hands-on directly to those two things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've seen it before, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to, and then you have duplicates in your database. You've got, you know, you've got some people, they, they can't even build a dashboard, 
Yeah, in, if, in you, Salesforce, if and it's you like, don't know how to build a dashboard in Salesforce, or if you can't figure out how to make an automatic report in Salesforce, something as simple as that, or change even change a field or add a new field in Salesforce, then it's time to keep looking. Yeah, and as a founder, if you don't have experience with this, you've got to really make sure that they can because you, you can't help them, right? You may not be able to be a resource back to them. So I think really, really understanding that and understanding, okay, what does this mean? How do we do it? And I, I, it's just such a key component that I think is just so so often overlooked and it's, it, it is, it's challenging. And again, until I went to an early stage startup, I had no direct experience ever doing those two things like direct, but I built out both of them on just personally, right? I wanted to develop these skills and continue to develop them. And so I knew I couldn't do it directly. And so, yeah, I mean, you have to roll your sleeves up. And I remember, you know, I was building our Salesforce instance from scratch and watching YouTube videos. And, you know, I had great relationships with people in sales ops. I remember young, a close friend of mine, and I would just ping him, hey, bud, can I ask you a question here? I'm stumped. And he was awesome. He was always a stud. He would he would be at work. I think he was working for Uber at the time. And he would stop what he was doing, do a screen share with me and be like, yeah, okay, if you want this force, if you want this dependent on this field here, you've got to go in here. And he would show me how to do it, which was great other than just doing it, right? And so it really helped me learn of like really knowing how to build and architect things. It's a critical, critical skill at that early stage. There's a lot of courses, online courses to become a Salesforce admin, which has a lot of fluff in, in them, but then it also gives you enough knowledge to be able to manage these things on your own. Yeah. And if all else fails, go to YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> just type it in. Literally, I would go just uploading leads in Salesforce. There's a thousand, you know, watch the video on it. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I took the Salesforce admin class and I am a Salesforce admin and, and I still YouTube things on how to do it because Salesforce is a mess of a CRM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those that, those were interesting. But yeah, I, I think as you're talking to that, looking to get that first sales leader on board, really, really, and ask them to cite examples. You know, like I have in my private Google Drive, most, if not all of the training content that I've ever developed and delivered over the last six, seven years. Like I keep it. I'm like, oh yeah, this could be useful down the road, right? It could be useful. And so ask them to cite examples. Like, can you show me some some scripts that you've written? Or can you show me some uh, training decks that you've put together? It may not directly relate to like what you need at that moment, but it will also give you an idea of how that person teaches, right? And how they coach, right? So I think, you know, don't be afraid to ask those questions, right? We talked about what's the burn rate that can be, you know, kind of an awkward question to ask, it could be awkward to ask them, like, can you cite me some examples? Can you show me some of your playbook here? Can you open it up and, and see what it is and really drill into it? Because there's, again, a lot of people that are great leaders. They're great in, in a lot of aspects that they just haven't ever directly had to do that. And you got to make sure that they can, because at that early stage of a company, if you're hiring sales ops and sales trainers and director of sales enablement to help your director of sales, like it, it's, it's your you're you're not properly calibrated. I th I think today's conversation could be all summed up with just don't be impressed with somebody's CV just because it looks good on paper. Actually, try to understand what kind of scenario that was in and see if it matches the scenario that you're in. That's a great yeah, absolutely. Drill into it, right? Find out again. Someone could be great, but not necessarily the best fit for what you need in that moment. Exactly. And then your take on it is pressure test it. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid to pressure test it. Yeah, cite some examples. You know, those are helpful. Great. Again, we're we're out of time, so I think we'll we'll wrap things up today and and we'll continue on next week with recruiting and hiring the sales talent and and compensating and onboarding and everything like that. Yeah, I think this will flow right nicely after this one because we talk about they have to be able to onboard and train and recruit. So we're going to give you some action items next week about how to attack that. Great. John, thanks. Yeah, always. Thank you so much. Hope everyone found it something helpful. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.